The next hour will inform you on how cybersecurity is one of the most significant threats to our national security, as well as the battle that cybersecurity experts are undergoing every day on your behalf to protect you, your families, and your data. Welcome to Task Force 7 Radio with your host, the president and CEO of Task Force 7 Radio and Task Force 7 Technologies, George Reedus. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode number 210 of Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. I'm Andy Bonello, pinch hitting for George Reedus. I want to emphasize that all the pins expressed in the show are my own, that I'm a president of past employers. I'll never disclose any sensitive intelligence that I have a privilege to as a result of my current employment and never unknowingly disclose any classified information related to any security clearances I presently hold or have held in the past with the United States government. And nothing I say during the show should be true as legal or financial advice. Well, folks, hope you enjoyed last week's episode number 209. We had the chief executive officer and co-founder of GroupSense, Mr. Kurt Minder, join me on the show to talk about how he became a ransomware negotiator. Man, what a fun job that's got to be the lessons learned from those negotiations, and how empathy has helped him in those negotiations. He also talked about the importance of running a business that starts with focusing on customer desired outcomes and how small businesses are in dire need of cybersecurity resources. We finished the show discussing how cyber criminals are, have shifted their focus during the Russia-Ukraine conflict. All that and much, much more at episode 209 of Task Force 7 Radio. Well, folks, listen, this is a great episode for you tonight. I'm super excited. I've got the Senior Vice President of Intelligence from Flashpoint, Tom Hoffman, joining me tonight. Tom leads Flashpoint's intelligence director that is focused on penetrating and collecting information from illicit communities. These operations include highly targeted and curated sources on cybercrime, jihadists, activists, domestic extremists, eco-terrorists, drug and weapon trafficking, and other illicit community activities. Tom began his career as a naval cryptological officer and has been running cyber operations for two decades. He's been at the forefront of cyber operations of the commercial, government, and military sectors and is renowned for his ability to drive effective intelligence operations to support both offensive and defensive network operations. It's my pleasure to introduce Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Flashpoint, Mr. Tom Hoffman. Tom, welcome to Task Force 7 Radio, buddy. Thanks, Andy. Thanks for having me on. Looking forward to the conversation. Yeah, man. Look, there's no shortage of things in your space right now. You're a busy man with everything going on and just in a you know business as usual standpoint in the intelligence game. But right now with everything going on in Russia and Ukraine, I mean, I'm sure you're just extra busy. So I truly appreciate you taking the time to give our audience a little peek into what's you know what's the latest and greatest on the ground, you know, as it relates to um you know, the myriad issues that are we're, we're watching unfold on the news. Um, so, man, I'd like to, you know, get your take on first, just, you know, Flashpoint and kind of what's what's been changing for you guys, you know, over the last, you know, couple of years, like how, how is the company evolving and, um, you know, just kind of want to get, get the audience the latest on what you guys have been up to. Yeah, um, great question. Yeah, the last few years have been... Uh, really interesting for multiple reasons. Uh, clearly, the, the COVID pandemic uh, has been uh, top of mind for many people. But from Flashpoint's perspective, where we are looking at threats and how technology is being misused or abused for a lot of different reasons, it's really been fascinating to see different communication mediums really come to the forefront uh, to see different ways in which illicit actors are using uh, information that's out there. And then what we're seeing here in Ukraine today is really a culmination of 
all these different things that we've been seeing playing out in different ways. And this is one where the last couple of years has really been, I think, from the, the private sector, really starting to get a much better appreciation for threat intelligence and how to understand what's happening outside of individual enterprises networks and really start making different decisions and ask different questions about how to prepare and prevent against some of these really bad attacks that we've been seeing uh, over the past few years. Ransomware has been top of mind, uh, but it, it really hasn't been the only one. And the fun part about being here at Flashpoint, we get to uh, help clients really think through and help defend against all these different types of attacks. Yeah, I appreciate it, man. Like, look, it's kind of crazy to think that we're like almost kind of around the corner on COVID. It feels like people are starting to loosen up a little bit. Folks are starting to think about going back to the office and that's going to bring back some of the older kind of traditional, like, you know, my network is now my network versus, you know, the home Wi-Fi is my network for defending. Uh, And now we're right on the heels of, you know, walking right in, we've got this major conflict going on, you know, in in Eastern Europe, right? So it's fascinating. I, I love your point about businesses having to think past themselves and the business implications of cyber. Um, but that's also happening at the cyber criminal level. So I'd love to get your take on, you know, you look, you're monitoring cyber criminals all the time. And in my experience, you know, when I was playing in that space a little bit in law enforcement, we had, you know, really prolific cyber criminals put down there, we'll call it, um, you know, their, their operations for financial gain that were making them money and kind of go back to their empathetic, you know, the, the state that they were, uh, you know, wanting the support. Are you seeing any of that happen where there's, you know, a lot of cyber criminals are being leveraged for non-attribution to help support, you know, a cause during this time? Yeah, great question. I think this has been one of those open questions for many years where it's always been, uh, a question we've been asked in the Eastern European cyber criminal space, is the Russian government behind this? Are they giving um, tacit approval for these groups to operate? Do they know who these groups are? Because in many ways, how they're operating, are able to extract billions of dollars out of Western businesses, help fund a lot of things over in Eastern Europe. And the question has always been really, what is the government's role in this? Uh, and there has never been a smoking gun, per se, to, to link uh, the Russian government with any of these groups. But I think that's starting to change. And what's really been interesting, even in the past few weeks, uh, there have been different leaks from some of the top ransomware groups where their chat logs from the last two years have been dumped uh, for everyone to read. And it's unclear who actually dumped all these logs to your point about patriotic hackers, uh, this is one where we're seeing that these groups, where the groups are comprised of both Russians and Ukrainians, while they're taking their, their own perspective and, and they are supporting their own nations and they're turning against each other. So we think this is actually one of the reasons why a lot of these logs were pushed out. Uh, the group named Conti came out and officially declared that they were pro-Russia in this conflict. And the next day, the other part of their group came out and said, no, we aren't, and started to really dismantle uh, the internal workings of their organization and started posting a lot of information online. And it's been uh, enlightening from a law enforcement perspective, because now we're starting to see some of those internal chat logs. There is now a better appreciation for 
where the Russian government has stepped in. And there's some allegations where uh, potentially the FSB was actually relying upon some of these criminal groups to get some insights into some of the targets they cared about. Now, again, not a smoking gun and, and uh, it's a, a roundabout conversation, but there is enough smoke there and, and there's more and more every day to, to really, I think many people can make that assumption that there is a, a role for the Russian government within a lot of these illicit groups. Yeah, it's just such a fascinating game that I think, you know, for us, you and I have been in this for a long time and we've really, you know, had optics into this for years, but like the fact that now this stuff is coming out into the forefront and giving the general public a view, I think is just, you know, fascinating for folks to start to understand how it's all linked together, especially when you think about it, how this translates into the boardroom. And, you know, we've been trying to convince as practitioners, convince executives like, hey, this is a thing, this is really happening. And until you see it, like anything else, you don't really have a good appreciation for what we're really talking about. So, I, you know, I, I love that you're, you're able to share uh, that view. So, you know, at a high level then, you know, Tom, what trends are you seeing in politically motivated cyber attacks between, you know, Russia, Ukraine and Belarus right now? Yeah, uh, another fascinating thing to watch over the last few weeks where there's been over 40 different groups that have come out and have chosen sides on either pro-Russia or pro-Ukraine. And what they are doing, it really runs the full gamut from uh, the patriotic hacktivists where they're defacing websites to launching DDoS attacks uh, against government institutions, government websites, uh, to also locking up uh, the railway system in Belarus using ransomware and also just penetrating companies all over and dumping information online. We saw over 120,000 names of Russian service members posted online uh, for the members who are, are in Ukraine right now. And watching these groups really uh, look in novel ways where even the governments are not doing this. And this is very much individuals taking up their, using their own cyber capabilities to really have a big impact on how really this entire event is unfolding. And I think that's one of the other interesting things at play here. There are forces outside of the government's control, especially when it comes to really uh, just the international response by individuals as to uh, how it is unfolding. And I think that's gonna be something that we look at for a long time which is what happens when governments don't have control about the groups who are picking sides in a particular fight. And when they do have a impact that the government uh, deems kind of going over one of their red lines, how do they react? Who do they blame? What, what is their response? And we're seeing this all play out in Ukraine, unfortunately, I think on a very accelerated timeline. Yeah, man. So it's, it's, and it's scary stuff. So, you know, the, the it's interesting to see kind of how, you know, hacktivist operations are starting to kind of pop up again, right? Like, you know, what, 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 you know, what, what are you seeing from the hacktivists, you know, the anonymous collective, like what's going on there um, as you start, you know, they start to become a little more active here in the, with the conflict. Yeah. Anonymous has been an interesting one. Again, anonymous, there is no central authority or central group. It really is anyone who wants to become part of anonymous. You take on that moniker and you conduct activities uh, however you deem fit. And then you do it under you know, the banner banner of the, 
anonymous group. What we've seen here, a lot of defacements. So looking for vulnerable websites, looking for exposed systems, and we've seen a lot of data being uh, posted online uh, to really make the Russian government uh, look bad. We've also seen an anonymous claim that they've taken over uh, the Russian space agency. I think this one is probably not true, but it's interesting because it's gotten a lot of headlines. So when you think about the information war that is also ongoing right now, these hacktivist groups are having an impact. While they might not have actually taken over some of these websites or taken over Russian satellites, the fact that this news is out there and that Russia has to respond to it, I think is an indicator that they're having a pretty good impact on the information war. And then we've also seen groups, uh, one is called Against the West. They have been prolific in their posting of very legitimate databases that have been uh, exposed or obtained through unknown means. And there has been a lot of sensitive information about Russian government, Russian businesses, and what they've been doing that are posting uh, all over online, uh, Telegram, uh, on Twitter, really all over the internet. So I would say the, uh, the groups here are really having a disproportionate impact, uh, especially as it pertains to the information war. Man, it's fascinating stuff. I've got so many more questions. We're going to transition to a commercial break. Hey, if you're a social media junkie, don't forget to follow TF7 Radio on your favorite social media platform. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. It's searching at TF7 Radio, and you'll be connected to the extended TF7 family on your favorite social media platform. For inquiries regarding sponsoring the show or suggestions for topics or guests, please email George directly at george.redis at tf7radio.com. That's george.redis at tf7. That's the number seven, folks, radio.com. We're going to pause with some quick messages from our sponsors, and we'll be right back with Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Flashpoint, Tom Hoffman. So whatever you do, don't go away. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at security-innovation.org or Google Sinet, S-I-N-E-T. In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. 
By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's taskforce7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Flashpoint, Tom Hoffman. Well, Tom, this is like, I'm having a lot of fun talking to you, man. And, you know, we, you touched on ransomware, you know, earlier in the first segment around, you know, how things are changing a little bit. I'd love to get your take on, um, you know, how ransomware is just no longer a technical issue, but now you know, folks are having to deal with business continuity and DR and everything. Yeah. Ransomware, this has really been the scourge for the last couple of years, uh, at Flashpoint, we've been supporting a lot of customers, really thinking through how they would respond in the event of a, an actual ransomware outbreak. And what's interesting here, three years ago, most of our conversations were in the IT organization and really the technical uh, folks who were responsible for recovering networks. But in the last 18 months, it's really been a conversation in, at the board level and with the C-suite. And it has more to do with uh, how they are going to respond if they are impacted, who makes the decisions about paying a ransom, the legal aspects of how do you make sure when you are clearly making a payment to a criminal enterprise, how do you ensure that you can minimize your risks and avoid potentially making a payment to a sanctioned entity. So it really has transformed the way people have thought about ransomware, how businesses respond and the right way to do it if and when you find yourself in that situation. And we have supported a lot of uh, cases where uh, not only the ransomware, but data theft and the data being held for ransom and how you respond to that in different ways in which you can minimize your exposure and your risks there. Uh, What's been interesting with the recent Ukraine situation, a lot of people have been asking, why haven't we been seeing more attacks on the cyber landscape? And I would say that we actually have. Uh, There's been uh, ransomware being used uh, to go after uh, different entities. Uh, Some of the early Whispergate was the name of malware in early January that was masquerading as ransomware, but it was really a wiper malware on the back end. There was no ability to actually recover your files or decrypt them. Uh, So this is the next phase, I think, in the ransomware landscape where it is ransomware or criminal tools being used for other purposes. And we're already seeing that start to be used over in Ukraine. And I think that is something that uh, businesses around the world should really pay attention to. 
So, so really what you're saying is we went, we moved from like, we're, we're getting into the destruction phase now, as opposed to just focusing on, you know, locking everything up for extortion uh, and, and to create havoc based on business interruption. But now it's just a matter of like, let's just, let's just, you know, be disruptive with it, disruptive with it. Yeah. And I think when it comes to warfare, I mean, clearly when you're launching missiles, uh, your aim is destruction. And this is where wiper malware absolutely comes in. Uh, I think there have been three different malware families that have been detected just in the first three months of this year, all being used over within Ukraine. And this is one that really is frightening because there is no recovery unless you have good backup, good working backups. If you get hit with a wiper malware and you lose access to critical aspects of your network and you can't recover, uh, we have seen through Colonial Pipeline like what the potential impacts could be when organizations lose access to critical parts of their network. So, so let's play it out, right? Let's say there's, you know, we're not in the, you know, we're, we're in the world where, you know, ransomware groups, you know, Russia, Ukrainian will, will say that now have, at least in Russia have, have financial sanctions, right? They're, you know, they're cut off financially. Like, you know, what would a company need to do, to be able to, let's say they had a ransomware attack and it was, you know, their data was locked up, right? Um, how's that play out now? Like, are, how are people paying? Is it still, you know, still crypto? Um, are we seeing less of those types of attacks right now? And it's strictly, you know, destructive? Like, what's the balance you're seeing and, and how are companies managing that? Yeah. Over the last few years, on average, there's been about 20 to 30 uh, big ransomware groups in operation. Uh, there have been groups that have um, been dismantled or taken down or just made so much money, they went into retirement. And um, as one group goes down, another one just steps into the void. So we're actually still seeing that the ransomware criminal ecosystem is still alive and well. We have seen some of these groups, as I mentioned, Conti earlier, where they chose a side within the fight and, and really the group turned upon itself. But then there's other groups that have said, hey, we're just in this for business. We're here to make money. We don't pick sides in politics and we're just here for the money. And they still continue to run their operations and we still see uh, ransomware activities occurring even here today. Uh, the uh, change I think that we're, we're seeing is more from the response aspect, uh, as you mentioned, with additional sanctions. We're seeing that businesses, especially on the incident response uh, side of the house, are asking more questions. And we're seeing that there are some groups where even though the government has not put the groups on the sanctions list, individual incident response firms have made decisions where they won't make payments to certain groups because they feel like they are too closely associated with the Russian government. And this is, again, very much like we were talking about before, the private industry and the private companies making their own decisions about what business they will and will not do. And we're seeing that even in the ransomware space. And then unfortunately, if you're a victim of one of these groups where the incident responders have decided for risk reasons that they are not going to support, if you don't have good working backups, it could really have a big impact if you're unable to make a payment, even if you wanted to, to obtain the decryption keys. So, man, let's flip it around a little bit. Like, what what could trigger state cyber operations between U.S., NATO, and Russia? Like, what what do you think is the red line here? 
It's a fascinating question. I think for many years, people have thought that there are red lines when it comes to critical infrastructure. If there's a cyber attack on the financial sector or the electricity grid, uh, that these are the red lines that would pull in potentially uh, nation states into an, an actual response. I wonder how that's going to play out here uh, with this situation, because what has just happened with the sanctions against Russia and the corresponding private sector response, where we've seen 40 businesses uh, independently decide they aren't going to operate in Russia anymore. Uh, this is like, an, as Vladimir Putin has said, he views this as a declaration of war, the economic sanctions. And I think that is, is where we are today, where it's unclear how's Russia going to respond? Will they come after uh, Western businesses? Will they allow their criminal groups to go after our critical infrastructure and use that as a false flag or, or use that as a cover to send some retaliatory response and then hope that they don't provoke a response? And I think those red lines, it's really subjective. And it's however NATO or however the United States want to interpret an attack, whether it's sanctioned by a government or not, uh, that to me is what's scary about this, because as the situation continues to spiral downward, I think there are more opportunities where governments may make a decision or there is something that occurs that may pull them in to a much wider conflict. It's a fascinating you know, debate and conversation. I, mean, I can imagine being in the Situation Room and the, the White House thinking through this right now. So, you know, from your perspective, man, like I think well, I, I'm curious, like I, I think people expected to see like really big cyber attacks happening when, when you know, kind of leading up to like very visible kind of cyber based attacks leading up to, you know, in a potential invasion, um, you know, how much is it happening? Like, why haven't we seen, like, why haven't these like cyber conflicts be seen, become more visible um, during, during the, the conflict? Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think many of us are, are worried that maybe we're missing something and that could absolutely be underway where potentially it's, it's pre-positioning or uh, waiting for a future date if uh, you want to escalate. Uh, but there have been, actual attacks as a precursor and a run-up before the conflict where we were seeing DDoS attacks against Ukraine government sites uh, since the beginning of the year. Uh, we talked about the Wiper malware, three different variants that have been deployed. Uh, I don't think they've had uh, quite the impact that potentially the, the malware authors intended, but they were there nonetheless. Uh, where I think uh, many people on the defense side are worried about is where are the Russians already positioned? Are they holding some cards close to their chest and they may choose to use some of their cyber capabilities uh, in a novel way that we just have not even thought through yet? And that, I think, is, is one of the, the concerning aspects. Uh, and then in Ukraine... I think the other reality is that when there is a kinetic war and missiles are flying, well, the, you can have that same impact. Uh, you can either use a cyber tool to take uh, communications offline, or we've seen the bombing of, of the 
telecommunications network, which actually has the same effect. And from a military planner perspective, it may be uh, more effective and long lasting to actually use a kinetic attack. So it may be also part of that of what we're seeing play out here, where this is all out war. And that's something that uh, cyber plays a, a portion and a, a part of, but it won't be the only aspect that are at military planners availability to achieve their effects. Yeah. But you talk about the telecommunications infrastructure. I mean, it's always to me fascinating, right? That's, you know, the internet's just enabled everybody to be so connected in the most intimate ways of their life and to run business, et cetera. Um, and, and the backup to that really becomes satellite, you know? Um, so what's the, you know, the expansion of Starlink service for, you know, in the Ukraine, like how, how has that helped? And then, you know, does satellite make it harder for you know, to for a nation to, in essence, own the battlefield of cyber from a, a internet perspective? Yeah, the the work of Starlink and and their ability to really extend the internet into Ukraine, I think, is a fascinating development. That uh, again, I think we'll be looking at for many years to really understand the long term. Um, impacts and the long-term consequences of what happens when the government can't control the telecommunications, they can't control the pipelines. And even when you take out the domestic internet, that you can't control the narrative because information is still flowing out. I think that is one of the key things that we're seeing here is there has been, I think, a very concerted effort by Russia to try to contain the images and contain the videos that have been uh, coming out from the battlefield. Uh, they've, they've done very well at controlling this with their domestic Russian audience, and they've really uh, controlled the narrative there for, for Russian citizens, but they have not been able to achieve the same uh, information dominance over the Ukraine battlefield. I think the, uh, the Starlink and the ability to uh, connect Ukrainians in the internet and get the word out about what is actually happening, I think is a really positive impact to understand what's happening on the ground. And it's also one that I think just presents yet another obstacle for the invading Russian armies to deal with when they really can't control the narrative. And in many ways that they're blitzkrieg and, and they wanted to basically dominate the entire space within a matter of days and we're seeing that as this draws out more and more, it's harder and harder to achieve that dominance. So, so yeah, and I extend that, right? Like they've got to, um, you know, come in, you want to go quick, take it out, invade, take it over, kind of move on with your plan. Uh, they've obviously hit some resistance, you know, so, but the other impact of this is from a business perspective, right? Like you've got the suspension of, of, of you, of, international companies just be in tech companies um, saying, look, we don't want to do business here. Um, what's the impact that that's, you know, having on the Russian government right now and how they're thinking through the, the battle? Yeah. Fantastic question. And this is, again, I don't know if anyone quite understands how the Russian economy is going to function. Uh, they have not opened their, stock market since the sanctions were imposed. We've seen the ruble fall in value. We've seen uh, foreign technology firms, foreign financial firms pull out overnight. 
And it's a really big question of, of what is going to be left of that Russian economy and what happens when the, the domestic audience can't get their rubles, they can't uh, pay for uh, their metro rides, and does this lead to domestic unrest? And I think that there's been some uh, questions whether we're already starting to see there is open question whether martial law would be declared. I think uh, Putin has been smart not to do that because if he does that, that really does indicate that he's lost control of the domestic audience. Um, so what we're going to see is, I think, more and more crackdowns internally, which, again, we don't know how this will play out, uh, but it can't be good. Uh, and I think what is happening on the economic front I even think the, the private businesses are out ahead of where the governments wanted to be. And in this way, it's going to be interesting, really, how do we get out of this? Uh, how do we get back to some semblance of normal? And even if the governments reach some agreement, who's to say that the uh, private sector is going to follow along? Or will they continue to not do business with Russia? So this is still... A, a story to be told. And I don't think anyone really has a good handle how this will play out. So what's the big, what's the one thing or the top thing that you're getting asked about from the, you know, your clients and the board, you know, like what, what are they, you know, how are they thinking through this? I mean, obviously, you know, you've got major tech companies making these decisions, but like, what are the things that com- your customers are coming to you asking your advice on and as it relates? Yeah. To- yeah. The big question is if there is a Russian cyber response, what will it look like and how can we best protect ourselves in the event that there is some uh, retaliation? And this is one where it goes back to the cyber hygiene. I know it sounds simple, but what we continue to uh, share with our clients, make sure that you understand what is connected to the internet uh, within your enterprise, remove whatever is not needed to be connected to the internet, shouldn't be on there. Uh, ensure that you have multi-factor authentication put in for all of your accounts. That can, I think, single-handedly take care of about 90% of all the problems that most organizations have. If you have multi-factor authentication deployed, uh, you can take care of a lot of the the ways in which a lot of these groups gain that initial access in your network. And then uh, passwords. It is scary, uh, the amount of passwords that are have already been stolen and resold Flashpoint, we sit on a collection of 39 billion username and password pairs that just, it, it is just shocking uh, how many passwords have been stolen, the reuse of, of passwords across multiple accounts, across organizations, uh, having really good, healthy password policies put in place is also a, another critical factor. These are very basic, uh, but the point here is to just make yourself a harder target uh, you may still be a target, but you don't want to make it easier for an attacker to gain that initial access in your network. Man, it's it's, uh, it's so true. We start talking about you know multi-factor. Right? We've been talking about this forever. <laughs> it's amazing. It's still like the top one of the top things. But all right, hey man, we got to take another short break to hear from our sponsors. Don't go away, folks. We'll be right back with more from Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Flashpoint, Tom Hofton. Hoffman, sorry. You listen to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity.
In today's interconnected world, digital transformation is taking us on a journey towards exciting new ways to work, live, and communicate. In business, staying out in front of the competition means pushing the boundaries of the status quo and exploring the possibilities of the future. However, pushing forward into this fast-changing digital landscape brings a new level of uncertainty and risk that must be measured, understood, and managed. By delivering state-of-the-art cyber risk analytics, X-Analytics is setting the standard to bring business clarity to the complex cyber threats organizations face each and every day. When it comes to understanding your financial exposure to cyber risk, trust what the global cyber insurance industry and Fortune 500 companies trust. Trust X-Analytics to guide you through the uncertainty into cyber risk clarity. For more information about X-Analytics, visit our website today at x-analytics.com. That's x-analytics.com. X-Analytics, setting the standard in the enterprise cyber risk management. As CISOs manage known malware attacks, they also contend with the unknown unknowns. With 24-7 Hacker Innovation, where do CISOs place their next security investment bet? Find the answer with Signet. With forums and public and private partnership dinners in Toronto, London, Singapore, Tokyo, and across the U.S., Signet is a mission-focused, purpose-driven global community, advancing the next generation of cybersecurity solutions. As an entrepreneurial ecosystem super connector, Signet brings innovators, top cybersecurity professionals, solution providers, investors, and government executives into a collaborative alliance. Join Signet's global community to empower your organization and the industry to defeat hackers with cybersecurity's next generation of innovation. Learn more at Secure. Security-innovation.org or Google Signet S-I-N-E-T. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Task Force 7 Radio with George Ritas. If you'd like to find out more about our program, please visit the website at taskforce7radio.com. Again, that's Task Force 7 with the number 7, radio.com. Now, back to this week's show. Here again is your host, George Ritas. Welcome back to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. We're back with Senior Vice President of Intelligence at Flashpoint, Mr. Tom Hoffman. All right, Tom, we're at the home stretch, brother. This has been a lot of fun. I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're super busy. Um, but, you know, what do you think the long-term implications are, man, when the shooting's done, right? Like war comes to an end, like what, what's, what, what do you think this looks like in the cyberspace from, from here on out? I wish we could go back to the status quo that we had before uh, the start of this year. I don't think we're ever going back to that. I think the Russian government has now seen really what the West can do. I think it has reaffirmed some of their perceptions about uh, how the West operates and what their real motivations have been. And with the private sector and all the technology companies independently pulling out of the Russian businesses in the Russian economy, I think this is one where they will no longer look to the West uh, for partners or for technology. And I think this is the long-term impact. They will now look to China. 
And I think this is one where watching how uh, this unfolds and how China plays in this situation is going to be very important. Uh, I would expect, uh, we already saw with Visa and MasterCard pulling out of Russia, that the Chinese, or I'm sorry, the Russian banks have already turned to their Chinese counterparts uh, for technological support. And I think that is going to be one where we're going to see a much tighter alignment uh, with Russia looking to the East uh, for their support and their integration. And I think also on the financial perspective, uh, they have seen uh, the impacts of SWIFT and being removed from it. And I think we're going to see uh, much more interest in uh, propping up not only Russia's equivalent of SWIFT, uh, but then also how can they uh, further integrate themselves with the Chinese uh, equivalent of SWIFT, uh, the cross-border interbank payment system. And I think these are some of the long-term uh, trends that will play out in a, a much faster manner now. And with the very fast decoupling of really every aspect of Western businesses with the Russian economy, as they integrate again, I don't think it will be with the, the West again. Um, I think they'd move East. It's going to get interesting, man. So, you know, I'm a big like counter surveillance person. Like, you know, one of my roles in the government was like watching the watchers and like counter surveillance thinking about like, what are those other, the other side of the coin, right? Like what are we missing while we're focused on everything going on in Russia and Ukraine? It, that is a great question. There have been so many resources that have been redirected to understanding and keeping eye on the events within Ukraine that my concern is uh, the focus on supply chain and understanding your vendor ecosystem and understanding uh, data breaches that have been occurring uh, that would normally uh, get the attention and the response. I fear that those are may not be getting the attention that they deserve. Uh, we've also seen that there has been just rampant fraud uh, that has been going over the last few years, uh, especially with the COVID relief. And that I, I fear is going to really be given uh, a pass because a lot of the government resources are being taken up to make sure that uh, government networks are more resilient and ready and working with the private sector and make sure that they're ready for any response. And that to me is, is where we should not forget that there are a lot of other malicious actors that want to do all sorts of nefarious things to your network and to your employees and to your customers. And that I think is continuing unabated. And that, that is a great thing to always keep in mind that uh, this Russia conflict is the most important one right now, but all these other actors are also still at play and need to be thought about as you coordinate your response. Yeah, and it's fascinating. I think we're all, everyone's on high alert. Every little thing that happens in the world, you know, we're, we're like trying to analyze the sea. Is it tied to Russia, Ukraine? Is, it, is, is the next shoe going to drop? Like, you know, there's so much energy being uh, put into evaluating what's happening right now and is there anything that you know companies are experiencing related to this conflict and is it russia right um 
but yeah, it's like all the other stuff, right? And we're still talking two-factor authentication and like regular <laughs> hygiene, right? And where everyone's focused on, man, that, you know, when the power went out in Taiwan, is China going to go in, right? Like everyone's like thinking about all this stuff and, and you know, not a bit, it's not all interrelated. Um, so look, I, Tom, I really appreciate you coming on the show, man. Thanks for taking the time with us. Thanks for having me. This was great. Oh, man. All right. We'll have to have you back on again sometime when this thing dies down and we can uh, get your recap on what, you know, what, what played out and uh, get your predictions for the future going forward again, man. So, all right, folks, it's time for us to bounce about out of here. Don't forget your, to visit aliveshoes.com slash brand slash TF7 to get your own pair of Task Force 7 sneakers. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Task Force 7 Radio, the voice of cybersecurity. Stay frosty out there. Thank you for tuning in this week to Task Force 7 Radio. To learn more about Task Force 7 Radio, please visit our website at taskforce7radio.com. Be sure to join your host, George Reedus, again next Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.